good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Hi, good people. We are back for another episode of Everybody Loves Bliss. This is our third episode of our fifth season. My goodness, time is going by so quickly. (sighs) And uh, unfortunately, we are still living through this global pandemic, uh, this COVID, uh, COVID COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. And I hope Everyone is doing well out there. Um, uh, The past couple of episodes, I've hopefully been giving you guys some advice that's been helping you out. You're my people and and you know I want the best for you. Well, we are continuing in that pattern today. On the show, we have Dr. Robert Johnson. Uh, Dr. Robert Johnson is out of the DMV area. And if you are are familiar, that is the Maryland, uh, DC, Virginia area. And I'm going to go over uh, some of Dr. Bob's uh, accomplishments and his bio for you. Um, Dr. Bob, you can always chime in if there's anything that I've missaid or (laughs) I need to change. But Dr. Bob, you are a dentist. You are trained at the University of Pennsylvania. And you you will have something that's unique that I haven't, uh, I wasn't familiar with. And your training is in biologic and holistic uh, dentistry. And you'll tell us a little bit more about that. You're also a naturopath with an advanced degree in in, uh, integrative medicine. Am I good so far? You are going very well, (laughs) Thank you. Also, um, what I find quite impressive is that you have studied all over the world with not only clinicians and researchers, but you've included healers um, in your studies. And you'll tell us more about that. Um, That being specifically uh, folks that have are are proficient and expert in um, alternative healing who are not necessarily MDs or are, have degrees behind their names. Um, that's important uh, for us to know. Um, but let me continue here. You are also a, a na- uh, in the 80s, you were a national class runner. Uh, in 1984, you were part of the Olympic trials. You were ranked at that time 35th in the U.S. Uh, for the marathon. You've completed two Ironman triathlons. Ah, uh, Wow. You are presently a coach. You coach individuals and companies on health and productivity. Uh, You have a company now called Health Awareness Ventures. And I'm going to go back because you were also um, the founder of what is now a defunct organization called uh, Natural Horizons, which was out of Fairfax, Virginia. And now you're part of NI. H-A, which is not to be mistaken with NIH, uh, NIHA is the Natural uh, Integrative Health Associates. So far, so good. It's uh, National Integrated Health Associates in Washington, D.C. Okay. Okay. Are you, are you all over? Is, that, is D.C. specific to the, the, uh, the chapter you're with? Are you all over? Are you just based out of D.C.? Just, uh, just so just, we are clear. Just based out of D.C., it's a single clinic. That is expanding, but it's a single clinic that includes health practitioners of all types. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, Dr. Bob, there is so much going on right now with um, COVID and health. Um, One of the things that uh, you and I are going to talk about here, we have a lot to talk about. We have a a list of things to talk about, but we're going to talk about specifically um, just um, 
overall health and 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 some one of the things that I I've mentioned in the first episode for this season um, with health uh, as it pertains to um, I think what's happening globally is that I think for me what this virus has shown is that there has been hmm I, I would say a bit of a failure uh in the medical community on it just in informing people on how to really stay healthy um one of the things that i i know for a fact is that generally folks walking around do not have the the level of immunohealth health that they need to have would you agree with that and can you talk a little bit about immunohealth health and and we're going to talk about the correlation to COVID too well, thanks for having me on, Bliss. I'm very excited. I uh, take my job and responsibility very, um, I, you know, I, to me, it's very important to be a teacher. And what I like to do is I like to educate people, give them the information they can do to be uh, healing themselves and their family. And in fact, I'm I'm going to have some little bit of sobering news on this podcast, but some very good, helpful news that may raise your spirits a bit in that 95% of people's health is under their control. And the, the biggest impediment to good health is lack of information or misinformation. So hopefully we can clear up that a lot uh, over this next, um, oh, 30, 40, 50 minutes. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's go for it. Let's talk about, um, because one of the things, one of the, one of the things that you did, which I think is, is wonderful is that you sent out to, you have a, I, I, I would, your patient list or your email list, you sent out a piece of information that, uh, was forwarded to me that I thought was fantastic. You sent out an information pack, if you will, a list of information for your your uh, subscribers to have on how they could stay safe in the times of COVID. And that included supplements, you included um, functional information. Um, let's let's go into that. Let's talk about some of the things. So tell, first of all, let, let's talk about what COVID is. What, can you explain exactly what coronavirus is? Okay, this is the, um, the sobering part of, okay. of the message. And that is that COVID 19 stands for coronavirus disease and it it's a 19th or what they've labeled as the 19th iteration so there's been other covid viruses out there and um this virus and for people who don't know what a virus is it's a kind of a protein coat around a dna um, strip that the viruses when they get on a host will inject that DNA into the host, causing whatever problems uh, you know, are coded in that DNA. Now, the sobering part is, and, and some of this is still being um, discerned and learned and so forth, but the, the important thing is that this virus which no one had been exposed to before, so no one had a immunity to it, and that's why it's so contagious and no one is um, immune to it once they get exposed to the virus. 
and un- unlike something like the 1918 um, Spanish flu, whereas a, a lot of people had been exposed and did not get the Spanish flu in 1918. So this is a, a, a tough virus for the world to adapt to. Now, this virus they now know was made in a lab in China. And uh, what the intents of making it were is, is hasn't been determined. Was it malicious, nefarious, or was it a mistake that it got out? They don't know. Um, okay. and, and, and so they're realizing that almost different strains, one came over from China directly to the West Coast, and it's almost a different strain than what has hit Europe and the East Coast of the United States. But they're similar enough to call them or group them together as COVID-19 or the coronavirus. So that's kind of the sobering part. But the rest of the message is really what we can do to not only prevent but also to treat early or even late treatment and be very successful at it. And I want to give people that um, to raise their hopes to realize that, yes, they can treat this. And it doesn't necessarily mean going to the hospital and being put on a a ventilator or respirator. Okay. And, And so we're going to go over that, too. Yeah, and and that's important to say because really and truly, Doctor Bob, what what has been staggering for me is that, you know, if you are are trying to pay attention and you're trying to do your research and you're reading all of the stories and all of the reports on what is happening, it is very very confusing. Um, I, I, you know, we've been hearing that ventilators are the way to go when you when you go to the hospital. There's this push; you need the ventilator. Uh, you're worried that your loved one will catch COVID, get in the hospital, and God forbid, there's a ventilator shortage and there's this any, meeny, miny, mo. And just this week, I've read that it's there's a possibility that the ventilator is not the best option for treating COVID. That because it presents more like a, a hypoxia. Um, that the ventilator may be putting pressure on the person's lungs and it may cause more damage than good. So it's so confusing. I, I mean, for, for in your understanding of this virus, first of all, my first question is, does it present more like a pneumonia or is it more like a hypoxia where there's an issue, not that the lungs are filling up with fluid so much, but that the lungs are not able to absorb oxygen. And do you think that if, if a person is in the hospital and, and I hope this isn't too much of a loaded question, but are ventilators a better treatment that maybe maybe we should be thinking about, about for the worst patients, um, hyperbaric chambers? Is that a better option? Do you mind answering that or giving an opinion on that? Not at all. And uh, I want to start by giving a little bit of a disclaimer here in saying that I'm just giving out the information that um, I have read or researched or in my discussions with the top healers and practitioners and researchers have seen is very successful. And I, in in my opinion, I do not feel like in most situations being put in a hospital and put on a respirator is always the best uh, option for people because uh, what the virus does is it, it the pathways to entry for a virus are through the 
oral mucosa in the mouth and the throat, and also through the nasal passages. And so we're going to discuss how you can use that information to be and remain healthy, but be preventing the, um, the virus. So what happens is they stick on these mucous membranes in the nose and the mouth and through some of the um, uh, passages through the eyes. And it takes a while, but if you've seen those models of the virus where they have the little red projections, those little red projections are, as I said, made in the lab, and they're a protein which helps the virus burrow through the um, mucous membranes and get into the bloodstream, and that's when you've got the infection. So you can very easily kill that virus if it's just sitting on the mucous membranes, and we'll go over that too with you know, mouthwash or hydrogen peroxide, and uh, that, that will easily kill these viruses before they burrow in through the mucous membranes. So the question is, what is this like? Um, it's very much like a pneumonia. In fact, a lot of people are think that they have coronavirus, they have a pneumonia, and, and vice versa. But your term hypoxia means low oxygen. So if the virus gets in and you're scarring what what it does is it scars the linings of the air sacs, the alveoli and the other tissues in the lungs. And by shoving in oxygen through a respirator, you're not necessarily helping the person. In fact, you're stressing their lung tissues much more. And so what happens is when the lungs can't exchange oxygen, you become hypoxic, meaning you have low oxygen. And as I tell people, the most important nutrient in the body is oxygen. You can't live very long with it uh, without the oxygen. And, um, and, and as your oxygen levels go down, you slowly uh, get more and more diseased. And the other part of this um, COVID-19 illness is that in response to the uh, viral infection, the um, body has what's called an inflammatory storm, meaning huge amounts of inflammation happen in the lungs, and that further interferes with the oxygen getting in. So there, there lies the problem is that your lungs are no longer able to get enough oxygen in to support you. And when it gets bad enough, that's when people die. So, so, so just so we're clear, it's not the mechanics of the breathing. It's not like your lungs aren't expanding as they need to. It is just that the oxygen that's getting in isn't, isn't able to saturate through like it needs to, to get into the tissues. Yes. It, it can't, okay. it can't cross over the membrane of the lung sacs and get in and be attached to it. It can't get through that because of the inflammation and the scarring of the of those sacs, of those tissues, so that they can combine with the red blood cells. That's, that's where the oxygen, it goes through the lung tissues and combines with the red blood cells so it can be transported to the rest of the body. Okay. Okay. And I, and that's really important for, for folks to understand, because I think, because, you know, what's happening is that people are getting sick, they're going into the hospital, their loved ones are not able to be with them. So they don't understand 
what their loved ones are experiencing in the hospital with when dealing with COVID. So the the I guess the worst idea is seeing thinking that your loved one is struggling physically to get oxygen. It's not a physical struggle. It's actually that they're not getting the well not the quality of oxygen, but there isn't the saturation of oxygen going in. And what's happening when you say the the uh, the respirators or the ventilators are are ta- basically taxing the lungs. It's a physical taxation, meaning it's it's stressing the lungs in a physical way because it's kind of overdoing that movement movement and still not getting the the oxygen through to the cells. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, yeah, in some instances, you may be um, raising up the oxygen that crosses. Uh, through those lung membranes, but for the most part, it really is what you're doing is you're, you're you're trying to wait till the person, their immune system gets strong enough to be able to fight it on its own. And one of the things we're going to talk about in this podcast is what people can do on their own to help strengthen their immune system to be able to fight this this um, infection and the body's adverse response to the infection. Exactly. And and just so that my listeners know, this information is important right now, but this is life information. We're not, we're not just giving you information that you need to fight coronavirus. The information about keeping your immune system is what we need to be doing across the board. We need improvements uh, across the board. Most of us do. I, you know, Dr. Bob, I talked on my first podcast and a little bit on the second one with the fact that people go around thinking that they're healthy uh, and that, oh, I just get a, I just get the flu every year. Or I just get a cold every year. And they think that that's normal behavior. And ideally, if you're, if, from my, in my opinion, if you're in optimal health, you, you're not getting a flu every year. You're not getting a cold every year. I, that should be the aim for us. We, we've, we've kind of normalized sickness to on some level. Um, well, you're, so, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Bliss is that when people suffer very badly because of the coronavirus infection, it's because they are not overall healthy. And, you know, if they're, if they're getting the flu every year or they're, you know, they miss time from work because of illness and so forth, there's health issues the body is having to deal with and they are not optimally healthy. And the people who suffer the most or have the, who die from coronavirus infections are the ones who are not healthy to begin with. Okay. Okay. And, and I, and, and it's important that we say that, um, but there are also just, just in fairness, there are also folks who have presented um, with healthy, um, I guess, normalized ideas of what a healthy person should be. They've, they've, they've presented as that you have the 27 year old or the 37 year old who's is not, doesn't have a known comorbidity uh, who's gotten coronavirus and for whatever reason has, has, has not been able to, to successfully fight the disease and has succumbed to that disease. I don't know how much of that has happened. Would you say in those cases, there's probably been an underlying issue that the person may not have known about? Yes. Or are we guessing with that? No, no, this is very important. I do a lot of very, um, uh, cutting edge assessments on people and young people, old people, uh, in between age people, uh, all have health issues that 
um, make them a little bit more vi um, uh, vulnerable to um, illnesses. And even the young people who are, I remember when I was 20, I thought I was um, uh, not vulnerable to anything. And uh, now I know that people of all ages have health issues that they don't um, mind, uh, that they don't take care of. And so it is very important, but the people who are very, very susceptible to this lung respiratory infection are the ones who have respiratory compromises already, like asthma, emphysema, um, those kind of who, who get pneumonia, um, those kind of illnesses um, predispose people to being much more vulnerable to infections with coronavirus. Now, let's go back to that person who just gets who stays healthy, but just gets a cold every year. Is that person because that person may not consider themselves um, vulnerable. They may, they may not consider that a comorbidity. Would you say that which should be concerning? Yes. If they get a cold every um, every year, every say winter, they are their body is not taking care of it on a very superficial level, meaning they're they're not able to um, excrete a toxin, or they uh, their immune system is low enough that they do get a cold. Um, let me give you an example of um, that. I personally, uh, and I'm kind of giving away my age is I have, I have not been sick or ill other than a little sniffle now and then. I haven't been ill or sick for over 50 years. Wow, okay. And, and so I, because I take care of myself, I know what to do, and I do have a strong immune system. But if you're getting a cold every year, you're, you're probably not eating as well as you could, and, and many youngsters are very guilty of that, or many teenagers are very guilty of that, or you know they're on medications, or they're they're toxic in their body. And it's just that they've got other systems that are strong to be only able to suffer with a cold. Um, but uh, it's important to really assess everyone as to why they are not as optimally healthy as they can be. And th I, that's one thing we're going to be going over later in the podcast. Well, let, let's start to talk about that because I, I, I hope that people are clear just in that bit of the conversation is that we've got to reassess what healthy is. And we're going to start to talk about that. But let, let me let me ask you this. Um, generally, because what we're seeing with this particular virus is that it likes men. It seems to be affecting more men. Um is that now when you're doing your assessments of folks just in general, just in finding, um, just just in testing and some of the specific tests that you do, do you find that men have more health issues, maybe even hidden health issues than women? Is that is that normal in your practice that you see? And if not, why would why would you believe or wh why do you think that this particular virus is, is seeming to affect more men than women? Well, first of all, the, um, uh, the, the disease or illness is going to determine whether men or women are more susceptible. It's not just all diseases and illnesses. Men are more vulnerable than women. Um, and and, and it, 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 when you see a very large discrepancy, um, you have to realize what are the differences between men and women. And, okay. and, and what they found at this point is that about 78% of the 
uh, corona or the COVID-19 illnesses are with men. And although they have not exactly figured out why, there's a very strong suspicion that estrogen in this respect, with respect to the coronavirus, is maybe even a protective agent that uh, women have obviously more of the estrogen than men do. But on the other hand, estrogen may make a woman more susceptible to another illness. So in this particular one, um, the coronavirus, they're thinking that estrogen may be a little bit more protective. Wow. Okay. Well, ladies, uh, estrogen is is, is doing some good (laughs) For, for this one. And I don't mean to make light of it, but I mean, that's an, it, I, I, I didn't know the reasoning why I kept hearing that men were more susceptible to this virus, but not hearing a clear reason why. Now with that, I just wanted to ask you about this. I won't, we won't take too much time on it, but have you had her, have, have you heard, uh, that that's the wine, Dr. Bob. Uh, have you <laughs> have you heard anything or any information that you can give us about a correlation between men getting the virus and maybe the potential of the virus affecting male fertility? I have not. Um, okay. But 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 I have to tell you this, and that is fertility is a topic, and we'll say male fertility as opposed to female fertility, male, both sexes, the fertility is a um, uh, a complex issue that depends on hormones, that depends on um, toxicity levels, that depend on so many things, mitochondria function, which is the energy producing function, and that um, we, we have not to this point heard any um, uh, things that the this infection is affecting male fertility. Although there are many things that can do that, um, uh, I, I, I have a very interesting personal story myself along those lines. When I was doing all my running and training at a very, very high level, um, that uh, my wife and I at the time could not get pregnant. And I, uh, partway through my training, I got, um, uh, I, I got an injury and I could not run for about a month. And within about two to three weeks after stopping running, uh, my wife got pregnant. So there, wow, there, okay. there, there's many issues that affect um, fertility in men and in women. It's interesting that you just brought that up. Let, let me let me pause what I'm going to say for a minute. I, the, the reason why I did bring up the fertility is that there has been some information that that's come out of China, some just scant information. And there's also been a few other uh, homeopathic and naturopathic doctors that are starting to have that conversation. I, I don't have all of the information on the why. So I guess this, that's starting to trickle in. We're not really clear about what the correlation is. But I want to thank you for what you just said about you running and how it affected your your fertility. Because a lot of times fertility issues really get blamed on the woman. And we, we're not concerned to me as considerate of the fact that there are things that go on in the male body or we're not as um i think suspect of the the the, the male in terms of fertility when there are fertility issues between mm-hmm. women and men that's what, just my opinion about what, that I just what i that. have heard bliss is that 
um, of the couples that are unable to get pregnant, 40% of those are due to male problems and about 60% of them um, female issues. Okay. So it, it breaks down to that. And um, just as a little funny sidelight, uh, people need to know that the sex of the baby is determined by the male. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. So that's, uh, that, that's a difference there. And, you know, Henry the eighth who couldn't conceive of a, uh, a male heir was always blaming his wife and it was him. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, and, and just, and we won't stay on this, this whole fertility bit too much, but is it true that older men tend to make girls more than boys? The older a man gets. I don't know about the, um, um, the predilection to any particular sex, Hmm. But, um, you know, women are always concerned about the, uh, the, um, uh, the age of their eggs. Um, and, um, men should too, maybe not quite as, uh, precise as women, but, um, men, when they start getting up into their fifties and sixties should really reconsider, um, whether they're getting, uh, someone pregnant or not, because, they have some problems as well. Wow. Dr. Bob, we're going to have to come back and have a whole conversation on that, on fertility. Uh, that's, that's a, you just opened up a whole new can of worms there, but we're going to, yeah. we're going to get back to <laughs> what we we're talking about, but we, I want to revisit that conversation on fertility and, sure. and men specifically, but let's get back to what we're, what we're dealing with now, uh, the immune systems and comorbidities uh, as we um, correlate this to not just COVID, but to, to just life in, in general, uh, health in general. Mm -hmm. um, we, we were talking about um, the idea of what healthy is and, and that a lot of us think we're healthy and, and we're not. We, we correlated it back to just the idea that, oh, I'm healthy, but I, I get a cold every year or I get the flu every year. Let's, let, let's talk about um, some of the information that's come out in the last week that I have been specifically interested in as a African-American woman. And that is the fact that now we have, we had that piece early on that men were more susceptible to COVID-19. Um, we knew people with comorbidities were more susceptible. Now in the last week and a half, we are hearing information about black people not only having higher levels of COVID-19 coronavirus, but that uh, black people are also succumbing to the coronavirus at higher levels. Now, here, here's what I'm going to share with you. I, I don't, I don't know because of what I'm not sure I believe about coronavirus, uh, why it's here, its intentions. We, we, we are, we understand that it came from a lab. Um, we don't know why it's here, whether it just, it was a leak. It was an, it, it, it naturally found its way into the environment some kind of way. Um, if it's bioterrorism, I, I don't know. I don't know. I've heard all of the theories. I don't know necessarily to be quite honest, if I necessarily believe all of the numbers that I'm hearing about coronavirus in terms of African-Americans. But what I do know is that as a black woman, as an African-American person, that 
I've got to treat that information like it's true. So with that, can we talk about we the comorbidities in black folks anyway are higher? We we know that to be true. Like, and when we talk about that, just so that everyone understands, a comorbidity is is a is a, a disease or or ill or syndromes that African Americans tend to have more. We have three times more asthma. It may be larger than that. Um, we have more diabetes, we have more high blood pressure. So those things would make us more susceptible to viruses and illness, just in general. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but early on when, when this disease first began to make its way here, there was this belief in our community, meaning the African-American community, that we could not get the virus. So you have to understand, we went from believing that we were, we were, we were a bit immune to the virus to dealing with these numbers. Um, l- let's talk about that. Let, let's talk about one of the, one of the things that, um, is inherent in our community in that we 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 have these comorbidities at a higher level, um, and this is probably like a broken record. I know people have heard this before, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about why that is. Um, do you want to begin that or? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. You've raised many topics, and what's interesting is the the whole issue of African Americans being more stricken with um, COVID-19 is is absolutely true. The figures bear that out. But it also brings into play the whole topic of how does one control whether they get this or prevent it or, you know, the the severity of it. And, And it comes down to, as I said very early in this podcast, is that we really do have control of not only getting the COVID-19 or not, but also overall health, if you know the right information. And you started off saying that, yes, um, African-Americans have higher rates of things like diabetes, obesity, which incidentally, we'll talk about obesity creates a huge amount of inflammation, which uh, predisposes someone to an infection like this. They have higher rates of blood pressure and cardiovascular disease and and respiratory illnesses, asthma, and so forth. And we can we can touch on that why that is uh, the case. So, as a group, African Americans do have more of these predisposing factors, and thus are um, thus are exposed to it more and more susceptible. So they're going to have greater numbers um, of the COVID-19. Now, there are other issues too, which are very important here. And um, I'm just reading these uh, over the past uh, week or so, is that um, uh, African-Americans tend to be um, generally a little bit lower socioeconomic level and thus do not seek out health care, preventive or um, things like organic foods and and so forth. And again, this is a a broad topic. Um, well, let me speak to that because he, here's most there are food deserts in a lot of African American communities. Mm-hmm. I, I need to say that that that's an issue. Food deserts. Just n- never mind organic. 
let's just talk about just whole foods in general, meaning meaning milk, uh, not milk and eggs, but things like fresh meats and fresh vegetables, whether they're non-GMO or not. We're, we're talking about just access to whole foods. You have a lot of small markets that carry small things here and there, but large larger markets that carry more varieties of foods mm-hmm. are just in a lot of African-American communities not there. And it is true. There's there, there, there's a higher incidence of either being non-insured or underinsured in mm-hmm. African-American communities. There's also the issue of trust. Mm-hmm. A lot of us do not trust <laughs> the medical community and African-American. The history is what it is here. And African-American folks have reason not to trust the medical community. Um, the health disparities are an issue. Um, blatant racism, just dealing with the medical community has been an issue. So those things do exist, but they're, they're, I, I just want to speak to that because there are factors that have affected that. Also, you know, just the information, just for, for those of us who actually, and I, I talked about this on the, on the last um, show, is that, you know, even for those of us who seek information and we'll, we'll go get our, our checkups every year, and, and this is one of those things I've talked about on pr- probably every show is that we'll get, we'll get our numbers. We'll vitamin D. I've talked about this on every show so far. We'll get our, our numbers and we'll get our scoring for again, vitamin D and, and we'll be told, well, you're in normal levels or, or you're low normal. If you're African-American general mean generally still means you're deficient and low means you're in crisis. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to my regular doctor, they don't know the difference. They don't understand the difference for me as an African American or a black person in general. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. I, I think, Bliss, this brings up a whole issue about um, traditional medicine, which just looks at numbers and, and, um, does not go after the underlying cause of illness and they uh, would rather prescribe. And what that tends to do is it takes care of a symptom, not treat the underlying cause. So for example, um, let's take blood pressure. One of the things that blood high blood pressure responds to or two things very nicely are magnesium. And a lot of foods do not have enough magnesium in it. Excuse me. And the other thing is something called uh, an adaptogen, which if you have low blood pressure, it brings it up. If you have high blood pressure, it brings it down. And so a lot of, um, and this is, this is the population in general. If they go to a physician, they're going to get, generally speaking, a prescription for their symptom, high blood pressure or some pain issue when they get an opioid or so forth. Um, and they're not going to find the underlying cause of the problem that that's the medical profession, which is, um, uh, which is their way of operating. And thus there's a lot of people who are doubting more and more the traditional medical profession. So it's, it's not just African-Americans. It's everybody is, um, should have a, a healthy skepticism as to what the underlying cause of their problem is and not be so uh, apt to take a prescription for a symptom. 
But but even going back to what I was saying, but here's the difference is that if I if you measure me in the numbers and I'm normal on your number, just specifically for the, what we were talking about, vitamin D, and we're going to talk about some other things mm-hmm. that are specific to African-Americans too. Even if you prescribe me, even if we're, we're, we're going with that model that, that um, the Western, Western medicine just looks to give you some kind of medication for, to just, to just maintain, mm-hmm. if, if, even if you, sub, even if you prescribe for me a medication, just in the differences in what my body needs, that still isn't going to work for me. And that's the difference. That's the mm-hmm. difference that, that we've, we've got to understand. Um, now you, you were talking about, you went further and you were talking about adaptogen and, and the difference between having that and not having that with high blood pressure. I don't know what that is. What is, what is that? So and that adapt- we're, we're adaptogen, it can be an herb. It, it can be number of things. It's, it's more natural thing that um, it's amazing how that works with people to bring their values, their health values, whether it's blood pressure or whether it's inflammation or, um, you know, immunity, those kind of things. Adaptogens bring their values to normal, to healthy, not too high. It'll bring it down. If it's too low, it brings it up. And so- Uh, adaptogen is a wonderful, wonderful product in so many ways and so many illnesses. Okay. Now with those are, let me, let me go back for a minute. So we're, we're just clear on the the testing and how it does differ and, and go back to the, the African-American community for one moment, because we, we didn't finish kind of just that overall conversation about the factors that may be affecting why, we are seeing higher numbers than other groups. So we we talked about health disparities. We talked about food deserts. We talked about the issue of just not trusting the health community. We, we, we talked about the fact that the testing, some of the testing is different from us, for us. Um, we, we brought up, or I brought up vitamin D, but you, we talked before, we talked about also, you, you had mentioned offline, we had had a conversation about lactose intolerance and how that affects health for African-Americans and immunity. Yes. Uh, lactose intolerance is it, basically, it means that people cannot tolerate cow's milk dairy, whether it be cheese or cream or milk, any of those things that are coming from a cow's milk. Many, many people have the inability to digest it and it causes a lot of allergies and so forth. But African-Americans genetically tend to be more uh, deficient in their ability to produce lactase, the enzyme um, to be able to digest lactose and, and cow's milk dairy. So just on a um, racial differences, African-Americans tend to be um, more lactose intolerant. Okay. And that affects your immune system in, in what way? Well, when if, if you're lactose intolerant and your genetics don't allow you to digest that, or let's say you take something and you, you, you just have an allergy to it, like wheat or anything of that nature, but in this case, um, 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 milk sugar, lactose, is that if you consume it, then you get a lot of bloating, you get a lot of inflammation, which is... Uh, the body adversely reacts to that to be able to counter it. 
And thus, when you have a lot of inflammation because you're taking a food that you don't digest well or you can't tolerate, then you are much more susceptible because your immune system is much weaker with all that um, adverse inflammation and adverse reaction. Wow. I didn't, I, it's interesting that you brought that up because I think most people don't really understand that they, they may know that, you know, I eat a little ice cream or a little cheese and I feel a little bloated. They don't realize that by having that intolerance that it's affecting their immune system and affecting their ability to fight disease. That's it. That's, that is, that is really important. That's a really important point. And there are a lot of people just across the board, would you say, not not just African-Americans, although we understand we have a higher propensity of lactose intolerance. There are more people that are lactose intolerant that, that may even understand that they are, that know that they are. I would say as a general statement, the average human across the globe should avoid cow's milk dairy and go to things like almond milk or something, rice milk or something like that as a much more healthy alternative than cow's milk dairy. Wow. Wow. What are, what are some of the other things, um, Dr. Bob, that if affect immunity that people may not be aware of? Well, certainly um, eating things that are um, raise, raising your insulin. Uh, let me just take a little step to the side and, and talk about that. When people eat all day long, they used to say you should graze all day long, and that includes chips, and they're having three or four snacks during the day, and they're chewing gum and so forth. Every time you do that, you secrete something to be able to handle that, Um, called insulin. And when you are constantly secreting insulin, it makes the cells which want to use the insulin to bring the sugar into the cells. And when you're constantly secreting insulin, you become insulin resistant, which is the step right before diabetes, diabetes type 2. And so one of the things that people can be healthy with and thus a a much stronger immune system, is to do something called, um, well, a little bit of caloric restriction, but also uh, intermittent fasting, where you're not eating anything for about, say, 14 hours in the day, 14, 15 hours, and the rest of the time you're eating, you're bunching your meals close together. So that's a very important thing as far as immunity. Um, now, you know, you've lost some people on that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let, <laughs> let me see if I you, it doesn't have to be. And I, I, I'm only saying that I, I understand um, intermittent fasting. I, I, I'm, I agree with you on that. And I, I've, you know, I've at times I'll do 12 hours uh, where I try not to eat for 12 hours, 12 mm-hmm. to 14 hours. Um, during the day. And and for people who have not heard that 15 hours sounds like, because they're thinking about, well, I'm sleeping eight hours and I got to mm-hmm. go to work mm-hmm. and I got to, my God, when am I going to eat? And I, I get it. I, that sounds for the person who, who's not used to that. That sounds like, like, okay, that's a long time. Well, Dr. It is, Bob. And, and it's not something you can do right away. You have to work up to it. Okay. But basically, okay. I mean, I didn't start that way, and now I I don't eat till about noon or so, and then I stop eating at about six or seven at night. 
And okay. basically what it's doing, here's, here's basically what it's doing. By giving your body a rest, and you you have to adjust to that um, um, that uh, that your body's burning other fuels like fat and so forth, because we get very hungry when say we're half an hour before lunchtime. It's because your blood sugar gets low, and you have to adapt to being able to um, your your body has to adapt to that, but. So you work up to it slowly, but basically intermittent fasting bliss just means you're giving your body rest to be able to do many of its other chores that it needs to be doing and including immunity. So that's, so let's say you're, you're snacking all day long and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're snacking and so forth. Basically your body's using all its defenses and all its energy to digest and it's not using it for immunity or anything like that. So, yes, I, I, I agree that you can't go from eating three meals or snacks all day long to, you know, intermittent fasting for 14, 15 hours. No. So I, I me, agree. So, so for the person who says, well, I stop eating two hours before I go to bed. Um, and so I don't, you know, and I get at least six hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep. Is that enough? Yes. Okay. And, and and we're, we're getting off the topic a little bit, but I'll just say this, that when your, your body very quickly burns sugar and carbohydrates for fuel. And when you don't have any more of that, like, let's say when you wake up in the morning, if you can actually fast, not eat from then, maybe just have some water or you go and even exercise in the morning, your body becomes very efficient at burning fats. And if you want to lose weight, that's one of the surest ways to do that is to teach your body to burn fats. And it also, back to immunity, it also improves the body's immunity or or ability to fight off viruses and colds, does it not? You are so wise, Bliss. You are so okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure because we it did it did sound like we were getting off of, off of topic, but we weren't. We were yes. really talking about keeping what we can be doing other than because again, people are washing hands and they they've learned how to wash their hands. They've learned how to wipe down surfaces. They're covering mm-hmm. up. They're wearing. They're doing all this other stuff, but the stuff, the inside stuff, meaning the inside stuff, what you need to do for your body is really what I mm-hmm. really want to. Con- keep yep. emphasizing so that and, that and this is I, I totally understand what you're saying let, let me see if i can clarify this and that is there's two approaches to being able to prevent you from getting covid 19. one is to minimize or not be exposed to the virus that's all the hand washing and the masks and staying isolated and so forth that's all that but the other approach which is even more effective, but is good in conjunction with the first uh, strategy. And that is getting your body very, very healthy, getting the immune system very strong, getting the, your nutrient levels good, getting your microbiome, which is the good bacteria in your gut, get, getting them very strong. All those are the other strategy that's far more important than, than preventing or minimizing exposure. Thank you for saying that. I there there's somebody in the back that needed to hear that. They really that's listening in and there's there's somebody who's only been paying attention to the mechanics, the the mechanical things that you just mentioned and has not been able to really hear how important 
uh, immunity is that just heard that. Now, let me, we're going to go into uh, the list of, of items, the, the beautiful list that you sent out of, of items that, that folks can get very easily that they can start taking to supplement their diet. So say you live in a neighborhood and for the person who has a hard time getting to the, the grocery store, the items that you've listed are easily, because I checked, available if the person can get online and order them. But let me let me ask you one other thing before we go into some of the things that people can be taking, some mm-hmm. supplements to help. Mm-hmm. What, are you, what is your opinion on the the folks sheltering in and not getting outside. And I think that we've misunderstood what we needed to do. So we, we've taken on the sheltering in to mean that we have to stay indoors in our house, closed in all the time. And I, my fear is that well, we're not getting outside and we're not, we need this oxygen. So we're not getting oxygen. We're not walking. We're not getting the sunlight. I get that we need to be careful about staying six feet apart. But the the world is big; it's huge. Uh, for for most of us, I mean, if you're in a crowded city like New York, you know, maybe you don't have as much room to walk around. But I, I, it just seems counterintuitive, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong. For people to not get outside at least for 15, 20 minutes a day to just, st- even if you're just standing outside on your patio or just stepping out. I mean, for the person who is sheltered in, I, I get there are people who can't get outside for whatever reason, but for the person who just has taking, taken the idea of sheltering in to mean just I'm closed off inside this home and I'm not stepping out unless I absolutely have to. Is that, is that the best idea or what, what is your opinion on that? Well, you've opened up one of my pet peeves, and that okay. is, <laughs> that is um, you're absolutely correct. People have misinterpreted the isolation is they have to stay in their their bedroom or their cellar or just their house, and they cannot go out. Um, to, to a large extent, the average population, that's what it means, and, and for the most part of the day, that's fine, but getting outside and by yourself exercising or taking a hike with someone six feet apart. Um, So you're getting good physical activity is very important. And I'll tell you why. First of all, outdoor air is five times more healthy than indoor air. And um, yes, and um, that's why air filters and so forth that filter out the viruses, and we do have them available, um, are very important and take away, you know, uh, particulate matter in the air and so forth because your toxin level in your body is very important for immunity. Now, the other reason why you want to get out is because exercise enhances immunity. And yes, exercise means different thing for different people. Some people it's maybe working in the garden or taking a hike or a walk. Other people, it's really getting out. I ride my bike every day, and uh, but I'm by myself. And so it's important from an immune point of view. And finally, why it's very important is you, you know that we have two circulatory systems in our body. One is the blood circulatory system, and the heart pumps the blood around. But the second circulatory system is called the lymph system. And the lymph system moves by muscle contraction, meaning exercise moves the lymph around. 
And guess what lymph does? It does two things. It detoxifies, which is very important in health. And it also brings around appropriately the white blood cells, which is the immune system. Mm. So being physically active and not being a couch potato or just staying inside, you, you really shouldn't. Now, that doesn't mean going out and playing a pickup basketball game with uh, 10 other people. It means really going out and finding a way to physically be active um, uh, in, in this time when you are alone, uh, isolating. So that's, that's a very important thing, and, and people should realize that. And for the person who ha- may have limitations, who can't work for whatever reason, can't really work out, has limited movement, uh, just getting out in that oxygen and in that sunlight is still beneficial. Absolutely. And just one other thing I forgot to mention, Bliss, and, and, and this has its limitations, is that um, when you get exposure to sunlight you increase your vitamin D level, which is very important to prevent illness. So getting out and getting some skin exposure, eye exposure to uh, sunlight is very important. And, and, and I'll just backtrack, Bliss, to one thing. One of the disadvantages for African-Americans and people of colored skin is they don't produce vitamin D as well because of the melanin, the pigment in their skin. So, so they, we need more sun. You need more sun, and you also need to take a very high-powered vitamin D supplement. Thank you for reiterating that. I, Dr. Bob, I've been saying it on the last two podcasts. So thank you for reiterating that fact. Um, and, and let me sh- just share with my, my listeners. What I haven't shared is that I've been tested, um, and I, not for COVID, let, let, me, let me backtrack, but I, just my general checkups that I get, and my vitamin D is low. I take 10,000 units a day because I was super low. I take 10,000 units a day. And initially when we were, we were told to shelter in place, I didn't, I wasn't doing a good job of getting outside. I really wasn't. Cause I, I, I like everyone else. I was like, what are we doing? I'm and, and really kind of had my kind of, you know, scared kind of, uh, uh, I, you know, I kind of freaked out for a minute with what's going on because you just don't know how to handle this. I get it. Everyone, you know, is affected by this differently. But, you know, I have just rethought this whole thing and thought about the, the best practices for keeping myself healthy. And now at least three to four days a week, I am outside. If, if it just means I'm out there for 15 minutes, breathing in some, some fresh air, I'm out there. If I'm not taking a walk uh, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm, I don't have the time that, which sounds funny during quarantine. I don't have the time, but some of us are still busy. I am out there breathing fresh air in and getting that sun. I'm I've, bliss. I'm going to give you one more advantage of getting out and being physically active. And that is one of the things that is goes unmentioned during this time of isolation is there's a lot of depression. There's a yeah. lot of loneliness. And if you yeah. get out and you exercise and you produce endorphins from the exercising, it's a good countermeasure to depression and, 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 and feeling down. So we, we don't mention the mental emotional part of this whole time with the isolation. And that's very important to be able to 
produce those endorphins to get that serotonin up in your in your brain. And 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 again, getting back to the subject at hand, even that affects your immune system. You and and you you can again uh, uh, correct me if I'm I'm incorrect. You know, depression and immunity they go hand in hand. Absolutely, and anxiety, which exercise can reduce anxiety. Anxiety is one of the biggest causes of immune weakness. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good people. You have heard it again. We I've talked about it on the on the first two episodes. We're on the third episode, and we've got Dr. Bob telling you again. Um, Dr. Bob, let's go ahead and talk about some of the wonderful supplements that you have recommended. Um, you sent out this beautiful list of supplements to you. Do you have what now what is that a, a a mailing group that you have or was that specific to your patients that you sent the information out and I, I'm just jumping around here. Yeah, I have <laughs> I have a mailing list of about 4000 people. And Fantastic. I I send out blogs, I send out interviews, I send out new information. I today I uh, put together a whole piece on sleep. And okay. uh, I will be sending that out. You will be getting that. Um, okay, wonderful. And and what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that all of the listeners, when we, uh, and in fact, you know what? Why wait? We're going to give that out now. Do you mind if we, we were going to do it at the end, but why would, why wait? We'll do um, it both times. <laughs> okay. So for everyone who's listening and you want to get on Dr. Bob's mailing list, I'm going to give you Dr. Bob's email. It is bobjohnsondmd at gmail.com. I'm going to spell it. It's bob, B-O-B-J-O-H-N-S-O-N-D-M-D at gmail.com. Again, bobjohnsondmd at gmail.com. And that's for anyone who's listening who wants to get, you can, in fact, they can, is it okay if they email you and say they heard you on the Everybody Loves Bliss podcast and they Mm want to get on your mailing list? Yes. Okay, all right, good people, you have that information and we're going to give it out again at the end. Um, so let's go into the list of, of wonderful items that you included in. We won't go over all of them, but you, you, the, the items that you mentioned that were great for people to start taking to improve. These are supplements now mm-hmm, to take mm-hmm. to improve their health. Um, and this is one that's caused a bit of controversy. Uh, chloroquine. Now, chloroquine, I, I am not sure because I, I don't take chloroquine. I do, I do have tonic water in my house, but we're, we're going we're gonna to put that all together. But you recommended chloroquine. We know that uh, President uh, Trump has come under fire for mentioning chloroquine as well. There's been some issue with chloroquine as it pertains to uh, folks who had uh conditions like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, there had been some controversy about now that it's been recommended in the media and that it's been talked about, they've had issues, they've had problems getting refills of chloroquine. Uh, let's talk about chloroquine. Let's talk about also, there's a there's a form of chloroquine that's easily available um, and that's through tonic water. Uh, it's in the form of quinine. Uh, I know quinine is easily available. I know I'm, I'm saying a lot at one time, but quinine I know is easily available online. I do not know about 
uh, availability of chloroquine without a prescription. But there is question about whether that's that's uh, available now. So can we talk about chloroquine, uh, whether you think quinine and tonic water as a supplement, um, as a companion with zinc, by the way, is the way that it's been recommended. Do th- does that work just as well? And how do we get the uh, chlor- the chloroquine or the quinine if we need it? Okay. Um, first of all, I think the tonic water is helpful. Okay. Um, but getting to the, um, the, the product, the uh, chloroquine, there's a lot of um, differing opinions out there. And the medical profession is being very um, protective of liability and so forth. So that's what their, you know, their traditional thing is to study things a long time, but we don't have a lot of time with this infection. And um, the chloroquine, along with, um, I've talked to several um, doctors, healers that are doing this protocol with great results, but there are, it comes with a lot of caveats, a lot of, uh, you've got to beware. And people who have other health issues may not react as well with the chloroquine and it may create some problems. Um, I've heard of some heart issues and and that kind of thing, but the zithromycin and the uh, chloroquine together um, seem to be doing very, very well by uh, a high percentage of people. And to be very honest, can you get that, those things without a prescription, though? Um, no, I think you do need a prescription for the chloroquine. Okay, and and, and, the, and the zithromycin as well. But uh, to, so you got to find a doctor who's willing to do that. But I can, okay. tell, I can tell you personally, if I was infected and, and had a fairly severe case, I would, this would be one of the things that I would do for myself and my family. So okay. um, just I, don't say that as the gospel, but I say that as kind of a personal message. But you can do that. So for the person, would they, so let, let's go to what's available. So quinine I know you can, There, there's a level of that in tonic water and quinine, I've been told, is available still on Amazon. Mm-hmm. How would you, how would one go about taking that? Do you recommend it um, versus if they can't get the chloroquine, they don't have a doctor they can get to, but the quinine and the combination of zinc or the tonic water and the zinc, how would they be able to use that as, as an alternative? Well, I think if you do a number of the other things that we're going to talk about, as well as the quinine, um, I would get it and start at what the recommended dose or lower is and work up slowly, um, uh, depending on how much time you have or how ill you are. But I, I think if you do the quinine with the other things we're going to talk about that are very simple, very easy to get, I think you will um, be very pleased with your results and your recovery Okay. or, or prevention. Okay. Well, tell us, um, I know that on that list, you had things like, um, let me name this one, uh, licorice, licorice, licorice root, mm-hmm. correct? Licorice, okay, let's... Root, licorice root. If you get infected, it stops the uh, replication of the virus. So that's very important. So you will stop it in its tracks. Okay. Would they get that in a tonic, in a tea? What's the best way to acquire? I actually, I actually take it in when I have nausea. Um, which is not often, but just 
putting some licorice root, like a tonic on the tongue and taking it a couple of times Mm -hmm. a day. And that will generally take care of it. Uh, Would you recommend it in a tonic? And how often would a person need to take licorice root uh, in order to feel the effects? Um, You're not going to feel the effects. You're just going to stop the disease or illness in its tracks. Okay. And I would go to a vitamin store and, and, and get the licorice drops, the homeopathics, or get the herbal, that kind of thing. Now, it does, if you go to some of these specialty stores, um, they do have the actual root, which I I know when I use um, turmeric and ginger, which are very good in this whole treatment because they reduce inflammation, I take a root and I slice it off and put it in my water and just put that in the water. So licorice root, you could do that as well. Do you need to let it sit for a while? Yeah, I would let it sit for uh, a couple of hours before you actually start taking it. Yeah. Okay. So licorice root will actually keep the virus from multiplying, replicating. Yes. Okay. There's another one. Now that, okay, licorice root again, that's one that I'm familiar with. You have one that I've I've heard of, I've not taken, and that's skullcap on your list. Yeah, that's something you can also get in stores. That's very good. It's antiviral, very, very good. And um, you can get that in um, vitamin herb herb stores, that kind of thing. You won't be able to get that in generally in um, in in the, the average grocery store. Okay. So very important. Okay, okay. rosemary, a rosemary, and of course, people use rosemary. I'm sure many people do use it as I do to season food. Um, and I, I've seen it in some of my supplements, but rosemary, tell us about the benefits of rosemary. How would, how would we take it? What are we looking for in terms of what form to take it in? Um, certainly, as you say, as a, a seasoning, um, but you can get it again in the drops and, and put it in uh, into the water as well, or just drop it underneath the tongue. And, and I should say this is that... Um, Anything that you put in the mouth that's a liquid, if you put it underneath your tongue, you're going to get a much better absorption than if you just put it in the back of your throat and swallow it. Okay. Okay. Again, thank you for saying that. Um, I totally agree. I prefer um, when I'm taking any supplement, I prefer the the oil, the the pressed oil or the tonic with that. Mm -hmm. Rosemary, now does that come? Are you recommend, is it an oil or would it be in a tonic? Uh, it would be in both forms. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So, so. Wonderful. You know, I, I think, Bliss, it's important to go to, uh, those are all very important things and very unique and very helpful as antivirals. But I think it's important to address the um, foundational things. Okay, like let's go. The vitamin D and here's uh, vitamin C and, and here's how to take this. It might not It might be a little much for everybody, but adults should be taking two grams, that's 2,000 milligrams, three times a day for optimal uh, viral fighting. Um, So that would be good. So vitamin C, now you can get it it in forms that are very um, uh, absorbable, but like isotonics or uh, liposomal. Um, but vitamin C is very, very good to fight the virus. Let me say, let me, let me 
clarify so we to make sure we're understanding because I I did again I I'm so with you on all of this Dr. Bob you do not know on the first episode when I was talking about just the things that I take um just just the list of items that I take I was I was talking to the uh, my audience about mullen and um, English ivy and vitamin C as well. I I take and and you'll tell me if this is this is beneficial or if you think I should even take uh, change the way that I take it. Generally, what'll happen is I'll take the vitamin C instead of taking it three times a day. I've been taking higher dosages of it one time a day, and generally I take anywhere from two thousand to five thousand. Uh, milligrams of the vitamin C per day. Would you recommend, is it is it better to do it maybe 2000 milligrams multiple times versus taking that higher dosage one time a day? And I like the crystals better than any, I don't, I'm not a big fan of chewables. Right. Um, I don't have it in the isotonics form yet. Well, I guess, I guess crystals would be because you actually put it in with a liquid, but mm-hmm. would you, would you recommend the three times a day? I heard you say that. Is that better to take maybe the 2000 grams three times a day versus the, the higher dosage one time? Well, two reasons I spread it out. One is because it, it keeps your system um, uh, reacting well with it throughout the day. But the other reason is because if you take very high dose, uh, for most people, it's above three grams or 3,000 milligrams, then they have something called bowel intolerance. And many people, that amount in one fell swoop gives them diarrhea. So (laughs) if you're not getting it with the higher doses, then congratulations. I you know actually Dr. Bob I mentioned that on the podcast I I look at it like this this is just me uh, listeners my my wonderful audience I look at that as a benefit so I, it and, and I I I shared that folks may need to adjust the dosage just based on their system but for me what happens is I I like the cleansing effect so <laughs> So I, that's one of the reasons why I like to take it that one time and get that cleanse. But I believe that you can still have that, that cleansing effect with a little bit of a higher dosage, maybe the 2,500 uh, uh, milligrams three mm-hmm. times a day. Is that, would you recommend that? Is that still? Yeah, that's fine. Effective? As I say, the, okay. to get the optimal amount in is um, uh, if you do the two to two and a half grams three times a day, that's a good amount that's going to have some very good beneficial effects. Okay. And that in milligrams is what, because most people have it, they'll, they'll be measuring in milligrams. So that would be about, well, again, we, we usually see that the, the tablets or whatever are usually in 500 milligrams or a thousand milligrams. So I'm, I'm suggesting doing 2000 milligrams, um, three times a day. Okay. 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 And and what is your opinion on that? I like the crystals. I, I just do. And I find they have more of that cleanse. I call it the cleansing effect. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and just as effective. It's if, the most important thing is how absorbable it is. And okay. here's what I find is the most absorbable or are the most absorbable forms of vitamin C, the isotonic, the, um, um, liposomal and, um, um, the Kamu Kamu form of, uh, vitamin C is very, very good. Okay. I use that as well. I, I just, for, for people who have not used it, it does have a, 
a, an interesting, I use it in the form of a powder. It does have an interesting taste just to let uh, the, uh, the audience know it's a, it's an acquired taste mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. Kamu Kamu, but it, it is, it is higher in vitamin C in smaller amounts than generally any other form. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Now, I, I, I also have to mention this on the end. And if you come down with a severe infection or you're really at a very, very high risk for this and say you're out and you have to, you're an essential job and you're meeting many, many people, even if you're wearing a mask, is the way if you truly cannot get infected, here is what you need to do. You need to go find a doctor who's going to do intravenous vitamin C. And that can get up to 25 grams, 50 grams, even 100 grams that way. You're bypassing the GI system, the the stomach and the intestines. And if you really, truly want to avoid getting the um, COVID-19, that is one of about two or three very important ways to do it. Okay. And we won't take too much time with this, but I I have two questions for you. How easy is that to find? Are are I I are most doctors going to do that? I know I've heard that for some patients who've requested that that's been difficult, even if they've had surgery and wanted it. And does mo does that is that covered by most insurances to have that done? First of all, I think most doctors do are not um, in a position to do vitamins and minerals IV, or they may not they may not understand it. So you have to kind of find someone. Um, I would Google um, IV vitamins and minerals, the doctor to do that. And um, your other question was, um, uh, you know, if if there's a doctor who's comfortable with it, they will actually do that. And it's a a marvelous technique. I I forgot your second question, Bliss. My second question is for for those folks who, in in terms of being able to afford to do that, is that covered by insurance? And and it it so depends on the insurance. Um, Some insurance companies do, uh, some don't. And I know that's an evasive answer, but you just have to ask before you get the IV. But it's so effective. and if you're exposed, potentially exposed to this every day, it would be one of those things that's it's worth the investment. Okay. How often would someone need to do that? Is it just the one time they would need to do that? Maybe once a week if someone's an essential worker working in, a, a con- in conditions that expose them to the general public or the higher possibilities of catching COVID? How often would they need to do something like that? Well, um, kind of as a generic rule, um, you'd have to do it about four or five times separated by a couple of days. Now, if, if you're constantly being exposed to it over weeks and months, that may be a little different, but as kind of a one closely, um, compressed event or series of events, I'd say, uh, about four times, um, over about a two to three week period. Wow. Okay. Okay. Dr. Bob, we hear you with, (laughs) with that. Okay. Tell me, let's talk about, tell me more of the foundationals. We talked about vitamin D. We've talked about vitamin C. What are the other foundationals that you think that we definitely need to have in the, uh, well, here, here is something that's not only important for the COVID, 
but also for general health. And that is to get your microbiome, which is the good probiotics in the gut um, at a very high level because 70 to 75% of your immune system is around the GI system in the gut and the abdomen. And if you have a good microbiome, that greatly enhances your immune system to be able to fight infections and to be able to clear up all kinds of diseases. And here's the, here's the real benefit. If you have a good microbiome, then you absorb nutrients like the vitamins and minerals and the proteins and so forth. You absorb them at a much higher level with a good microbiome. Okay, so tell us, Dr. Bob, what are some of the good microbiomes? What are those? What are we looking for? Well, you can certainly take um, uh, a supplement, and but, but what I call the poor man's probiotic, which is something that I eat all the time, and that is sauerkraut. Sauerkraut has a massive amount of probiotics, and it's, oh, okay. it's, an, it's an acquired taste for sure, but I take a spoonful in the morning and a spoonful in the evening. And, um, what's a spoonful, Dr. Bob, are we talking about a tablespoon, a teaspoon, a tablespoon, a tablespoon is fine. And uh, it really is a very nice way, not only to be very regular, but also to build that immune system. And so that's a, a, a very important foundation treatment is the microbiome. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the, the microbiome is very important, but you can also get it with things like kombucha, uh, you can get it with, um, uh, I'm just trying to think, uh, kimchi and yogurt does have it. But again, we're getting into the, uh, the, the um, cow's milk dairy again. So that's not something I recommend for most people. Okay. So just a tablespoon of sauerkraut two times a day. Will, can will, do more, than, will more than build your immune system. Yes. Now, how soon would you start to feel the effects of something like, I mean, or, or that not, not necessarily feel the effects, but will that become effective? Is that something that as soon as you start doing it within a couple of days, you're starting to build it? Or is that over a, a certain amount of time? Because if we're, we're talking about building the immune system quickly, does that help? Like in the first week, are we, have we made those improvements? Yes. Within the first week, you're, you're going to, if you do it um, religiously, you're going to see good benefits uh, within a week. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, Doctor Bob, that's a that's that's such a simple, easy, accessible um, item to have. Inexpensive and an easy thing to do. I think most of us, even if we don't like uh, sauerkraut, we can tolerate it uh, two tablespoons a day. Yes. to improve our overall health. Yeah. Wow. Are there, is, is there any other thing on the, because we have this other list and, and are you, can we get you, if, if folks want this list that you sent out, they can, can they get this list from you? Can they send you an email and request the rest of the items on the list? You bet. That's okay. what I'm here for is to send that information out so people can make good decisions. Wonderful. So. What what other thing before we we kind of okay. start to wrap up here because we're you I could I could have you on for you know like forever but we've <laughs> we're going into an, an hour and a half. Um, let me ask you this: Is there something else, one other item that you would recommend that on on that foundational list for people to have and and to have in their arsenal that they need to start immediately? That's yeah. easily accessible. Here's, here's what I would say, and I think I did mention this a little bit before, but 
if since the two pathways for entry into the body, the two major pathways are the nose and the mouth, what I do, oh, two or three times a day is I have a, a natural mouth rinse, um, which I gargle very deeply in my throat um, for about, oh, 15 seconds. And that's going to kill any microbes that are sitting there on the mucous membranes. And so it doesn't get into my body. And the other thing is I use an essential oil spray, or you can actually take a little bit of dilute hydrogen peroxide and on a Q-tip, swab the inside of your nose. And uh, that will help uh, kill any of the microbes that are sitting there. Because as I say, it, it, if, if you've got a, if you've got a um, coronavirus that sticks on the mucous membranes, it's going to take a couple of days before it actually burrows through into your body. Okay, so let let me let me go back, Doctor Bob, because I don't we we need this information. So you have a a a gargle that you use. Are you making this? Are you buying it? So no, it's it, it's buying and and just get a, a, a one with natural products that does not have alcohol in it. So are we talking about like a Listerine? What are we talking about? That's no, most of those have alcohol. And so if okay. you go to some place that's a more a vitamin store or like Whole Foods or something like that, um, you're going to see more natural mouth rinses that have um, all kinds of herbs and stuff in them and, and essential oils. That is important. I just want you to avoid the alcohol. So, so you don't recommend, because I, I recommend a, the, the recommend it for people to have in their arsenal Listerine, but you're saying you would, it's better to use a mouth rinse without alcohol for this with essential oils to rinse with now because of. Yes. Rinse, okay. Rinse with, and, and as I said, I do it two, three, four times a day. And I mean, a good substitute that's very inexpensive is go get some medical grade 3% hydrogen peroxide. Okay. And you can dilute that. Um, oh, about two parts water, one part hydrogen peroxide, and you can gargle with it and or you can swab the inside of your nose with it. And uh, that's going to kill any of the viruses that are, you know, plant, planning their uh, entry into your body. Two questions for you, Dr. Bob. Why, why are we staying away from the alcohol in the, in the mouth rinse? I'm just curious. Why, why would we? Generally, it's not antiviral. And second of all, um, alcohol tends to lower your immune system and suppresses the nervous system. And if you're right around the brain, you don't want to be suppressing your nervous system. Well, Dr. Bob, as I'm drinking, um, a glass, of <laughs> <laughs> as I'm drinking a, a glass of Chardonnay oh, while I'm trying to go drink your glass of Chardonnay, go ahead. <laughs> But I, I say that jokingly, but I'm glad that you're here to give us that information because I've, we, we, I've kept Listerine in the arsenal. I've used it to, you know, in times when I've run out of uh, bleach, I've used it, I've laid it, I've put it down on the surface, let it sit there and cleaned with it. Um, you know, back in the days, my grandmother, and you know, they, they used, you know, when they ran out of bleach or didn't have other things in the house, they would use that Listerine, leave it down there and clean with it. But we've also gargled with it. And I thought it, I felt it was an effective gargle, but you're saying it's, it's, it's not antiviral, even though it's antibacterial. Right. And, and okay. the, the other things in it 
are better than nothing. Meaning if you don't, okay. if you can't find a more natural mouth rinse, then go with the Listerines or that okay. kind of thing. They're better than nothing. But optimally, either we can get a mouthwash, a natural-based mouthwash with essential oils, um, and you don't seem to want to recommend a brand, and I got it <laughs> with this. Yeah, yeah. We, can also, yeah. <laughs> we can also use um, diluted uh, uh, hydrogen peroxide as a gargle, and we can put a little bit on a Q-tip, and we can swab our noses. And, we, and, and ideally, should we be just doing that every day? You know, we're going in and out and just swabbing just a little bit the nose with the peroxide to keep that back, the uh, virus down. That's a good practice, you know, even after this whole pandemic uh, okay. is to, you know, those are the passages where we get infections up into the sinus and into the respiratory tree. So both those practices are things that you should do now and after the pandemic. Wow. Dr. Bob, I didn't know that. I am so, I, I you told me before, <laughs> you told me before we had this conversation, you're like, I have a, some information you're going to be surprised about. I'm really surprised about, I, I, I did not know that bit. I had not done that and, and was not aware of that as a way of keeping viruses down. That's, that's a really another very easy way of taking care of yourself that I yeah. had no, I had no idea about. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for that tidbit. Wow. And, and, and please people avoid bleach in, in internally or on your skin. That's, it's all right to have it, you know, to wipe off door handles and stuff, but not the bleach. It's too caustic. It'll, it'll damage your, your body. I, I didn't know that anyone used it on their on their bodies or tried to, but I guess there's there's always one person who who's not aware yes, yes, who may yes. try. So thank you for sharing that. Liz, before we wow. go, I, there, there's just uh, three other real quick products, and I won't go into detail about these that, that are go very ahead. very good. Please, one, one is melatonin, which is very antimicrobial, fungal. Um, it's very good. Yes, it's, for, it's, it's for sleep, but it's also great to fight cancer and it's antiviral. So melatonin is absolutely critical. Wow. Okay. And wait, wait, before you go further with that, uh, tell us how much uh, we should be taking because I, I, I don't, I was not aware of that either as, as anything but a sleep agent, a natural sleep agent. How much should we be taking? Now, I, I've been told that with melatonin, if you're using it to sleep, there you, you can take a high dosage of that. But I don't know for what you're talking about, what we should be, what range we should be in. You know, I, I have it in, I, I can't tell you exactly the, my, uh, the, uh, the dosage, but I have it in a spray bottle and I do two sprays about three times a day. And, um, that, that's very good. And it's not going to, it's not going to put you to sleep during the day when you, do that was my <laughs> next question. <laughs> okay. So okay. You're, you're, you're not going to fall asleep at your desk. <laughs> okay. So melatonin in, uh, so we're, we're looking at a, another liquid solution. Again, where you're really very, uh, very consistent in these isotonics, keeping things in liquid form, spraying, getting a spray version of it using two to three sprays, two to three times a day. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so ideally when you're taking your vitamin C, you can be do doing your melatonin at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. The, the other two, one is coenzyme Q10. Is, okay. is very, very good. And 
um, you just take it as directed on the bottle. It's it, it's a good thing for um, metabolism, your heart. It's it's very very important. And the last thing that is so good antimicrobial is something called propolis. Like okay. B, like B propolis, P R O P O L I S. Okay, and I do take that in in, in, a, in a supplement. But I should I be ta- should we be taking that in a separate form? Like it's part of a supplement that I take. Do we need it as a separate supplement on its own, or how how should we be taking it? I think it's more effective on its own, um, but it certainly helps as a component of another supplement you're taking. Okay. And how should we be taking it, Dr. Bob? Uh, again, you can use it on a swab up in the uh, nasal passages, or you can swallow it. Um, it's very good that way. Okay. I have it in a tablet. <laughs> That's so, fine. That's fine. But you, you get it in a, is it now I've never had it outside of, again, it's in a vitamin, it's in a multi that I take and it's in another supplement. Mm -hmm. But so if you're swabbing it, are you getting it in again, a liquid tonic form and you're just dipping the Q-tip in the tonic and swabbing? No, it's more of a thick liquid, kind of a, almost a gel. Okay. Okay. And you're recommending that we use that gel um, form and we're, we're again swabbing like we can we do it with the peroxide or do we do it separately would you recommend doing the peroxide maybe in the day and the propolis in the evening or how would don't don't mix them don't mix them okay so which which so either way we can take one in the do one in the morning and one in the evening sure sure that's fine do we need both or can we do one or the other um if you did one uh well they're both really effective and they do slightly different things. So the peroxide is more for cleaning the surfaces where the microbes are and the um, propolis, it will do that, but it's also, it, it works internally. Okay. Okay. So better internally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful, Dr. Bob. Wow. Okay. Is there anything else you want to, you want to give us that we, we need to have in the arsenal right now? Zinc and magnesium. Zinc and mag. And again, zinc goes back to what we talked about with quinine and, and as an, as something that I've, I've heard doctors are using and, and specifically there's a doctor whose videos are circulating. If people want to hear more information on this, um, Dr. Uh, Eric Naputi's videos on, tonic water and zinc, but what dosage do you recommend, Dr. Bob, in terms of, because there's a difference in the amount of zinc that you take if you're taking it to treat, and there's a difference in the amount that you take if you're trying to maintain a healthy system. Can you talk to us briefly on how much zinc we should be taking if we're trying to treat maybe for five or six days versus a maintenance amount of zinc? Well, a maintenance amount is if you just want to prevent it. If, if you are, if you've got the illness and you want to conquer it, uh, you want to um, quadruple the dose, that's the maintenance dose. And generally, how much would that be? A um, couple hundred uh, milligrams. Per, per day or every couple of hours? Uh, per day, per day. Per day. So we're taking a couple of hundred if we're treating... 
and maybe about a hundred for maintenance. Yes, exactly. Wonderful. Okay. And one last thing about zinc. I, I just want to be clear. Do we need to take zinc with food? Um, yes, it does help. And um, the, the best form of zinc is zinc orotate. Zinc orotate. Okay. Okay. And, and that I'm, sh I'm pretty sure good people, um, and I'll look that up and, and make a note is probably very easily available on Amazon. I know in your health food stores, you can get it, um, very easily. So, well, I okay. Think, I think this has given people a lot to work with and hopefully I think so more, too. a little bit more enlightenment. I think so too, Dr. Bob, and and that is the goal here um, to make sure that people have information that they're that they they may not be getting other places. This is this not just COVID um, coronavirus, but just again, I want to emphasize that this is about staying healthy, and it's not just during this time; it is for a lifetime. It is changing from that. Uh, that, that idea, the, this, this normalcy that we've kind of gotten used to and getting sick every year and getting a cold every year. We want to move away from that. We want healthier bodies. And, and I thank you so much, Dr. Bob. I think the information you gave us this day has been absolutely um, amazing. And I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. And I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it was, it's been my pleasure. And uh, when I feel like I can help a, a broad population, I'm very, very happy to do that. I think we did that tonight, Dr. Bob. And before I go, as promised, I'm going to give your email address again. Yes. Um, again, for our listeners, it is bobjohnsondmd at gmail.com. Again, that's B-O-B-J-O-H-N-S-O-N-D-M-D at gmail.com. So, Dr. Bob, you'll be back on the show to talk more. We're going to talk more. We didn't really get into it this evening, but we're going to talk about weight loss yes. um, and what we need to be doing. And we'll also talk about fertility. Yep. Yep. Very that, important. That wasn't a question. That wasn't and, and, a question. That was that was a record. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a promise to the listeners, Doctor Bob. No. Very good. I look forward to um, giving that information because it's it 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 isn't that hard to do. Both of those are not that hard to do. Wow. You know that that's that's promising to hear. Um, knowing that so many people struggle with both of those. So good people, we're going to have Dr. Bob back on the show and we are going to talk specifically about fertility and weight loss. I want to thank everyone. Well, first of all, I want to thank Dr. Bob again for coming on the show and giving such important information tonight. And I thank you so much uh, for this information, Dr. Bob. We're going to have you back. I want to thank the listeners for listening in. And I hope that you, you know, if you're listening into the show, you, you really feel like you've gotten something out of this. And I hope that you will take this information and use the good people because it is about health and health is your greatest wealth. There's nothing better that you could possibly have. Agreed, Dr. Bob? Totally. Okay. Wonderful. Again, good people. I want to thank you again. And I want to let you know, I love you and I want the best for you. Have a good evening.